Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about overcoming pornographic addiction. Yeah, we're going to look at the impact that pornography has on society, how it's affecting millions of men, women, and children, what the church teaches about pornography, and ways to overcome pornography if you struggle with it. So if you're out there and this is something that you're struggling with, we just want to communicate to you from the heart of Christ, there's always hope. jump right in. We have a very special guest with us, Father Sean Kilcally. He's a diocesan priest from the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. And he's a good Italian right. with that last name, right? He's, yeah. He's hanging out with Kilcallissimo. <laughs> hey, my hey. man. <laughs> no, uh, Father, why don't you tell um, our listeners just, you know, what, what you do with, with your priesthood, like what, what your, your focus is. And uh, where they can find about you. Yeah, so I've been a priest since 2005, and uh, the first four years of my priesthood, I spent teaching high school theology of the body mm-hmm. um, and uh, working at as an assistant pastor. In 2009, I went to the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family in Rome. Uh, when I got back in 2013, I started with sort of reworking our chastity curriculum and incorporating more theological anthropology, theology of the body, mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. it would, you know, be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and then it was probably just two months after I got back and I was hearing confessions at a high school and I realized, um, my chastity curriculum is not going to work. Mm. Um, because between 2009 and 2013, sort of the whole world shifted. And, um, and I had to ask myself the question, how do we preach the truth, beauty and goodness of God's plan for marriage, family, human sexuality into like a generation that is consuming the anti-message every day? Um, and so that's when I shifted focus and I started to work a lot with parents and doing parent talks. I had partnered with Covenant Eyes at the time and I was running workshops for them. Um, but that just led to a lot of people coming and seeking help and healing. Um, since then, I've been certified as a pastoral sexual addiction practitioner through an organization called ITAP, the International Institute for Trauma and Addictions Professionals. And, um, and currently I spend about half of my time traveling and doing education for priests and seminarians and parish leaders in order to help equip them to preach the gospel into this hypersexualized culture. That's excellent. And is there any websites with ITAP or any, any other types of ways? So ITAP has its own website. They're a certification company for, they're they're like a certification body for sexual Mm -hmm. addiction therapists Mm -hmm. of all, you know, all faiths, all mm-hmm. perspectives. That's excellent. So um, you like started, you started with the gospel and, and, and theology of the body and you were all excited about it. And you just realized that I can't, this message isn't going to resonate unless we're practically approaching the, the spiritual and the psychological harms that are infecting folks from, from consuming porno- pornography. And the first, right. and the first right. impulsive movement of your, of your pastoral ministry was to go to the families, to go to the parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that. And then beginning with Covenant Eyes, which is one of our sponsors, yes. and we give them right. a big shout out. And I know that they have some statistical data that, yep. that Shield's going to drive your way in just a, a little bit. But I think that's, it's ministry to the family that is, mm-hmm. is really, really important. And you know, you're piloting a new effort and a new endeavor in a new world where we are constantly being immersed with pornographic imagery. We're constantly being immersed mm-hmm. with that 
anti-message that you described. It's beautiful work, brother. And you're also involved with uh, cleanheart.online, is that correct? I am. So uh, cleanheart.online was started by Covenant Eyes and, um, and really piloted most profoundly in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And so I've done some education mm-hmm. on there and, uh, and will continue to do so. So you'll see the links associated with with everything that Father Kilkenny's doing for for the church, as well as ways that you can reach out for from for some assistance. A, a perfect Italian thing, calling him Kilkenny, not Kilcally. Kilcally, ah. Kilkenny. Oh, that's that true. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I am part Irish, and I, I caught that. So yeah. are we, though. Yeah, We've well, got some Irish yeah. blood in the good parts. Speaking of connecting, be sure to connect with us on the web at catholictalkshow.com. Subscribe. We'll send you emails of new content, as well as on our Facebook page, Instagram, as well as Twitter. And certainly we would give a big shout out to our sponsors, Exodus 90, as well as Covenant Eyes. And especially as you move forward in your own journey and we are helping you on your journey, that's our hope. That's our prayer. We definitely want to lend that support. If you could support us through patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show, that is ensuring that this show continues to reach new markets and we can only do it with with your support. So my brothers and sisters, moving into this, this absolute important topic of conversation about pornography and that there's hope out there. We're very happy that Father Sean is with us to share his charism and what Christ is doing in his ministry so fruitfully. Yeah, uh, a shout out to our Patreon supporters. Your support enables us to uh, have excellent guests like out there. So again, thank you for that. Yeah. So talking about pornography, pornography is a, it's a massive societal issue. Uh, Its impact on society is as grave as uh, opioid epidemics, and as grave as uh, so many things that deeply impact our society in a negative way, but because it's such a taboo topic, it doesn't have the sort of communication about it that would really help to prevent and heal a lot of the issues that it causes. A lot of the issues, and we've had the conversation that a lot of the issues that uh, lead toward, towards pornography addiction is, is poor formation. And a poor understanding of uh, of the self that leads into those types of things. Yeah, I wonder the dynamic that makes it that way, right? Where you can talk about opioids in this crisis, and now you've got lawsuits and this and that, right? But it doesn't seem like you said to, to be something that's in the forefront of our. It's American, a it's a national crisis. It's yeah. a worldwide crisis. Yeah, um, and I don't know if it's just I don't know if it's just formation or the fact that. You know, there are powers that be and the industry itself really takes advantage of young children that are developing their psychosexual, you know, psychological state. And and I, I remember back when the Internet was available at fingertips was when I was probably maybe 12 or 13 when I first went onto a pornographic site. And that was that was great that, that with my friends, this is what we did. You know, and and a Playboy was being handed to me, and I was look looking at that. So immediately, it was like masculinity was tied in with sexual expression and sexuality, but it was perverted in how at that time, like, oh, this is normal. This is this is how I become a man, and I think formation's essential in that. But I think it's there's also a power that be that wants to create this addictive environment of control as well. well. I think there's also the addictive nature of pornography. Uh, has a lot to do with the the physiological makeup of the brain yeah. and the way that the brain is impacted by addictive things. I mean, pornography is a drug that you consume with your eyes instead of with a with a needle. Mm-hmm. Instead of smoking it, you are 
consuming this drug with your eyes, but in almost every way, shape, and form, the way that pornography affects the person is similar in the way that chemically that drugs affect the mind. Yeah. So it's so a very similar thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, they speak directly about what pornography is and why it is an offense against chastity. So Catechism number 2354 says, Pornography consists in removing real or simulated acts from the intimacy of the partners. Mm-hmm. In order to display them deliberately to third parties, mm-hmm. it offends against chastity because it perverts the conjugal act, the intimate giving of spouses to each other. Mm. It does grave injury to the dignity of its participants, the actors, the vendors, and the public, since each one becomes an object of base pleasure and illicit profit for others. It immerses all who are involved in the illusion of a fantasy world. It is a grave offense. Civil authorities should prevent the production and distribution of pornographic materials. Uh, it's, the catechism is very clear. It offends chastity. It offends people. It creates um, true injustices, not just against the people consuming it, but the people who are in the world of producing it. Mm-hmm. It's a massive harm to them, and that the government and society needs to work together to prevent it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what, I have a question, and this is for both of you fathers, is I know that there is the psychological impact on culpability when it comes to terms of addiction. Um, but there's a lot of debate, I think, with people who aren't sure, is, is whether or not pornography and masturbation are mortal sins. Uh, do they qualify this, as that, or does the addiction or that sort of um, concupiscence towards those make it into something mm-hmm. different than a mortal sin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's a really common question, right? And um, the catechism is clear, especially in the paragraph on masturbation, where it says, like, in the tradition, the constant tradition of the church and the sense of the faithful, like, the church has been in no doubt that masturbation is a intrinsically and gravely disordered action, right? And and that's something I think that that we as teachers in the church are culpable for because especially in the current climate, like Mm -hmm. it's very common to hear people say something like homosexual acts are intrinsically and gravely disordered. Mm -hmm. But I've hardly ever heard people in the course of my own formation or my peers. And and even in the seminary, it wasn't emphasized a lot that masturbation is intrinsically and gravely disordered. In in the same way that the church argues that homosexuality uh, removes the conjugal act from its intended purpose, masturbation is the same way. It's, so it, that's a really interesting point. Right. And, and so, and then that paragraph goes on to talk about how, you know, in evaluating the moral action, we have to take into account the affective immaturity, uh, force of acquired habit, um, compulsivity that might be in the person. And so, so those are factors that can reduce to a minimum moral culpability, but it's still a grave mm-hmm. matter sin. And so, so some people will ask the question, like, if, if I have an addiction and I act out, can I go to, can I go to communion without going to confession? Right. Because that's really the reason people ask questions like Mm -hmm. that. And, um, and my pastoral advice is always, you should absent yourself from communion until you go to confession, um, because you're enslaved to sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people I work with, they'll sort of take that, um, as permission giving. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I remember one time somebody came into group and they said, father, my pastor basically told me it's impossible for me to commit a mortal sin now. So uh-huh. why do I want to get better? Yeah. Right. 
right? And it just becomes kind of permission mm-hmm. giving. Mm-hmm. And um and we need to be reminded of the fact that I'm enslaved to sin right now and I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. I need to get out of this. And mm-hmm. so so kind of a layman's terms way of addressing it is to say it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. That's that's excellent. Yeah. And and the responsibility that that crying out for help is met by structures and strategy and that you can't do it alone. And by realizing that accountability is there for us to dig ourselves, to get out of the hole of, of that despair. So Exodus 90, Covenant Eyes, these different programs that are there are there for each of us to, to utilize, to, to grow. And I do want to make a point about the sense of disorder. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, feel like, well, you're calling me disordered? Like uh, that? No, it's just it, it's down to the point of like, where are your actions ordained? And what is the trajectory of those actions? Is it is it becoming of the human person made in the image and likeness of God to be ordained to something that is base? And when you think about masturbation itself, is is just a an action toward oneself and escaping in in many different respects. So you know you have to look at the action themselves and see where they're ordered. And, and, you know, disorder is not, is not to just label any type of uh, person. No, it's just yeah, the think, actions. Yeah. A lot of people misunderstand disorder as like a psychological disorder, like schizophrenia. Yeah. And, but you really have to look at the word disorder. It's yes. taking an act and taking it out of its natural order where it has a purpose and a natural end. And fruitfulness. Too. Right. Yeah. And that's what disorder means in this usage. Uh, sometimes I wish the church could have a more precise term that in English people understand more, mm-hmm. but disorder mm-hmm. really is the, 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 it's proper, a per, it's a perfect it's, term and we shy away from it. it. And that's the thing. And that, that comes yeah. to formation and then looking right. at it etymologically, like you have to look at the word <clears throat> disorder. Dis- well, exactly. And then you look right. at ordered, what is ordered. And, and then the ordering of that is what the church upholds so that you can find a communion with God. And it goes right back to the structure. Through, yeah. Like the relationship yes, of marriage, which, exactly. you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it literally saves our marriage. It, <laughs> it keeps us, you know, uh, intimate. And, and it's like, it's an amazing uh, gift that God gives yeah. a married couple. That being said, I, I am no, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I was exposed to this stuff mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And so I have the benefit of seeing behind me and then also mm-hmm. in, in my life and today. And what's before you. Right. Yes. And so I, I appreciate where the church, uh, why mm-hmm. the church upholds that mm-hmm. and why the church should be teaching it or does teach it is that they're calling you to this divine intimacy with God yes. through this relationship, through the sacrament of marriage, mm-hmm. which is what it was meant for. Mm-hmm. So um, the disordered thing is there has to be an order too, mm-hmm. right? So disorder should tell you that there is an order. Mm-hmm. And what does that order take you? Mm-hmm. And what does it, what does it do? What does, what did God mean for that order? And, and how that order meets the deepest, most fundamental longing of the human heart, right. that ache in the heart. That's where, that's where it's structured for us in Holy Mother Church. What did, what did you want a mother, you know, talk about parents. Wouldn't you want a mother there to help structure your environment so that you are most effective and and given a sense of security. Our and society and does that all yeah. the time. You you look at the church, you're like, oh, it's just telling me what to do. You know how many people tell you what to do? Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to go through that list yeah. of people that tell you what to do yeah. and what to think? Yeah. 
What, and what's what's wrong with somebody mm-hmm. else doing that mm-hmm. in light of what mm-hmm. God has revealed? And who to are you going to be? Su- yes, right. subject I, to who are you going to place your your subjectivity yeah. to? Look, the I, church I, is the church is much more like a speed limit sign. It tells you, look, if you go over this, you're in danger. Yeah. Now a lot of people go over that and they I speed they, a lot. They face the fruits of that danger by crashing. Mm-hmm. No, I don't but crash, but I... the church isn't the church isn't throwing out a tax strip. You don't crash. No, I mean, well, it's not Dude, the Jeep Wrangler. Oh, no. Yeah, the Jeep Wrangler. There was no speed limits there. It was a, it was a mudding pit. That's right. That and your wife took away the privileges of, of us. Owning a Jeep. We, yeah, yeah, we, we can't have we, a Jeep, we rolled his Jeep excursions anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think my Thank you, Jen. Works. We love you. Yeah. You're creating the structures for our better safety so and health. You, you guys both mentioned that, you know, how you were exposed to pornography. So was I. So was almost everyone in this oh, country. Yeah. So Covenant Eyes had put out puts out this really excellent document every year that tells that that lays out the statistics of pornography use and the impact that it has on society. And I will make sure that I put this link to this document so everyone can download it and go over the statistics because they're sobering and they really put into perspective the scope of, of, of the issue that we have to overcome with this. So, um, of 400 million web searches, um, in a, in a one year span, 13% of them will be for pornography. Um, 79% of 18 to 30 year olds say they view pornography at least once a month. 63% of 18 to 30 year olds say they view pornography at least multiple times a week. Um, uh, 55% of married men say they watch porn at least once a month. 70% of unmarried men do. And you look at the divorce rate, it's almost coincides with Absolutely. that statistic. 68% of divorces, according to the um, uh, American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, 68% of divorces cite pornography use um, as an as one of the factors of yeah. conflict. Of conflict. Yeah. Um, 68% of divorces happen where people are meeting someone online. Uh, 58%, 56% have one party have an obsessive interest in pornographic sites. Yeah. So like what I'm, what I'm curious, Father Kilcally, uh, is, um, <laughs> my is, bad. <laughs> that was an Italian guy saying that. No, uh, what I'm, what I'm curious is, is there's, uh, you know, clearly there's dynamic, right? There's the dynamic of a person consuming it even at a young age, at an older age, there's unmarried people consuming it. There's married people's consuming it. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, you know, the, the psychological part of that, um, with, with a spouse is very different than with a child who's not emotionally or, or, or psychologically developed. Right. And so how has that impacted the way you approach folks that come to you for help? I mean, is that, is that literally things that you put in categorical departments of, 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 of treatment or counseling? Um, where does that sort of fall? Yeah. So everyone was once a child who was shown pornography, right? Like, like, and that's, it's mm-hmm. really important to remember that. Like when we're doing ministry, that if I'm, if I'm meeting with a 40 year old man, who's married to a, who's married and has a family and is involved in the church and he has a porn problem. Um, my presumption is that he was once a 10, 11 or 12 year old who was shown pornography by somebody. And, and there is a, the impact of that is it's, it's really like being sexually abused by the internet. Um, Mm. like we would say that if, if some creepy guy with a mustache walked up to your, you know, your child (laughs) and showed him pornography, we would call that sexual abuse. Mm. If they just stumble across it on their phone, it's still received by their body as sexual abuse. Right which means they don't understand what they're seeing. 
because it's traumatic for them and their brain's like, what is this all about? Their brain keeps recalling it. So they're having flashbacks, which they think are temptations, but they're just flashbacks to something that they saw. Um, and then there's nobody there to help them to figure mm -hmm. that out or process it. Um, the two biggest factors that I've encountered are early exposure to pornography and a lack of sex education. Right. So, mm -hmm. so kids don't know how to like, understand what they're seeing they're not really familiar with like how their bodies function yet and yet they're receiving this information these images these feelings that that arouses in us naturally because it's how god designed us mm -hmm. and they don't know how to make sense of it all um now you said it, something about sex education and a lot of times there's so much dispute around sex education you always see in the newspaper oh well they're teaching this in this in this public school, this p portion of sex education. A lot of time it becomes almost a battleground for ideologies. Right. But sex education should not be viewed as this kind of controversial thing. It's a very important thing, and it's very important to the to the life of children when done properly. So how <laughs> does the church establish proper sex education? And, and I don't I don't think we're in that space as well as we ought to be. Thank God for the theology of the body. Thank God for what you're doing. Right. But culturally speaking, I was a public school kid and I was around the same age when I was being introduced to pornography mm -hmm. and, and playboys and stuff like that. I was being taught how to put a condom on a banana in sixth grade. Yeah, I remember that. You remember that? Yeah. I mean, we, we grew mm -hmm. up in the Florida public school system. And we giggled and laughed. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't right. even like a, a, a serious educational yeah. experience. No. And then what came immediately after that is the exploration. So then I, I remember my own stuff. I remember everybody else that I was going through school with. That's when exploration came because we were taught that. Right. So, and and that's an interesting. Right. So, th so like, <clears throat> so that makes a lot of people afraid mm -hmm. of doing proper education exactly. with their kids. That's a good point. Um, so in a Lee TTI, I think it's 281. Mm -hmm. It says um, that sexual education has to come at a proper time and in a way suited to their age. Mm -hmm. It also says that young people need to both learn, like they need to receive data, but also receive the tools to be critical about those things that cripple our capacity to love. And they need mm -hmm. to be educated about the flood of pornography mm -hmm. and the overload of stimuli that can deform sexuality. And, and so what's kind of new in that teaching is that the church is asking us to educate our children about avoiding pornography. Mm -hmm. And we have to do that before they get exposed to pornography, mm -hmm. which is going to roll back the way suited to their age mm -hmm. to about like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because average is between eight and 11. Mm -hmm. um, and my friends who have done, uh, there's a book called Wonderfully Made Babies written by Ellen John Giordano. And, uh, and it's very correct. And it's all written in the context of theology of the body. And so my parents who read this to their nine-year-old, uh, their experience of that is, you know, that the nine-year-old's just a blank slate. Mm -hmm. And all they do is learn, like, that's how a baby's made. And there's no sexual history. There's no curiosity. And, uh, and it's really a race between parents and their kids mm -hmm. um, or between the parents mm -hmm. and the internet. Mm -hmm. that's, and, a, that's a great point. And whoever talks first is trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, that's outstanding. So, Ooh. so if the parent talks first, they're trustworthy. Please listen to what if, Father Sean just said. Right? If the internet talks first, it's trustworthy. And if their peer talks first, they're trustworthy. Yes. 
So every question is going to go to the first person who talks. So and and the ages that you identified are very very important for me. I did I haven't spent a ton mm-hmm. of time studying about it. Obviously JP two the theology of the body I have been immersed a little bit more <clears> in, but um, I'm seeing it in second graders, third graders right. expressing to me, Father, I don't know if I like boys or girls, and I, I don't know how to I don't know how to answer this question, and and it's all sexual driven. Right. Obviously, this is being stimulated in their brain somehow. I know that they're being exposed to different things online. So I think it's all filtering through these same issues. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. So, so you're really recommending that, that, that first sex education be done through the parents? Of course. Yes. Absolutely. As the church mm-hmm. has always said. Because um, your kids but trust it has to start so earlier than they think it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so what are some uh, tips the parents can do to actually have those conversations begin and and get the courage to talk about something that they are probably themselves were properly informed. And they probably have mm. a lot of sexual hangups themselves. Right. Of course. So, so then when they're it's trying to talk to their children, they're carrying the guilt of their own sexual right. failings and trying to present it to a child in a clean right. version. Yeah. You know, I, I would say, I remember the talk I got from my dad. I was probably like 13. He was using technical terms and I thought he was talking about erector sets. Right? So, uh, and then he finally used some slang, and uh, I was like, "Oh, oh we're doing this. I gotta go because I already know this because right. the neighbor kid taught me, or my oh, cousin well, yeah. taught me, yeah. or or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and that and our own shame is the thing that gets in the way the most, and that's for parents, but it's also for clergy, mm-hmm. and it's also for the church because we all have a sexual history and we all have a porn story, mm-hmm. even if yeah. our porn story is I, I've never seen porn. That's their porn story. Mm-hmm. I know clergy who don't feel equipped to talk about porn because they've never seen porn, mm-hmm. um, which is it's just not true. We just need to have better categories for yeah. approaching things. Um, I truly, I truly agree with the approach that we have to where we are right now as church, but we need to really amp it up in our overall educational programs to families. I think that is the key with what, what I'm getting from your ministry, Father Sean. You know, talking about all, like all these resources and and ways that people can learn more, uh, our sponsor Covenant Eyes provides so much education in addition to the uh, accountability software that really helps people overcome and battle porn addiction. They provide a lot of education. So we're going to be sharing one of those links for that, the data about pornography usage, but why don't you also tell them about the special offer Covenant Eyes has for us. And I'm telling you, if you go on their website and type in the promo code Catholic talk, you'll get 30 days free service with this software. So make sure you check them out as well as Exodus 90, who's a wonderful supporter of the show and a great sponsor. Make sure you're checking them out as well. They have a great application. It's a great program for men to grow together in fraternity and to move through 90 days of praying with Exodus and removing all the superfluous things in your life that distract you and take the order of your life in a direction towards self-service. It's a way to enter into more deep sacrifices so that you think of the word sacrificium, to make holy. The whole sense of growing together in our fraternity is that we're reproving each other as iron sharpens iron and we're growing in holiness greater freedom and what comes from with greater freedom is absolute joy and it is an absolute joy to have you here father sean and it's not kill kenny no collie kill collie yes so you know you were you, you were talking <laughs> kill about kenny <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you were talking about pornography usage amongst amongst clergy and that's also an issue as well um that same covenant eyes document um 
says that 33% of clergy say they have visited a sexually explicit website and that 53% they have visited a pornographic site multiple times in the last month. So, um, mm. you know, it's a little bit less than the rates among lay people, but it's still also a problem in clergy um, because clergy are people as well, and they struggle with these same issues. What kind of impact do you see of pornography having on the clergy? Well, I think I think our statistics are probably the same as um, the studies that were done by the Barna Group that covenantized mm-hmm. sites, and and so, and and the priests that I have worked with, like typically their story is the same. Like like they were a kid who got exposed to pornography, and then they went to the seminary, and they thought that when I walk through the doors of the seminary, like I thought when I walk through the doors of the seminary, magic Jesus is going to come down. <laughs> And because I've been so generous to give him my life, he's going to take away every kind of yeah. sexual impulse or yeah. feeling or, you know, whatever. Um, and that that's not how it really works. Um, and but but a lot of times we can feel really alone in that. And uh, and so so there are some really, really good things going on. Um, like there's there are some priests who have like started some 12 step groups that are just for priests that are online. There's, um, there's the ability to find help and seminaries have ramped up their game in terms of formation and, and just acknowledging the fact that guys are coming out of the culture and they really need a formation program. That's going to help them to achieve that virtue. And they, and they need to be more kind of accountable about moving through that formation program. And, and I think that's just part of the comprehensive response to the kind of, the kind of scandals that we've been exposed to over the last year. And, um, and I'm really excited. I'm really proud of a lot of the seminaries that I've visited and, and to learn what they're doing with guys now, um, compared to when I was in the seminary, I think we had like the mandatory sort of celibacy conference mm-hmm. every semester, once a year. And that was pre Dallas charter, right? right? So when you were going through the seminary for me, I'm post Dallas charter. So all of the psychosexual workshops that we go through and, and all the formation and like dopamine releases in the brain when we're yeah. stimulated by pornographic images, all these different things, uh, we're really, we're really uh, developing. And I think that's a, a, a beautiful point to make Recently, we've been going through a lot of exposure to things that happened in the 50s and the 60s and mm-hmm. the 70s, these terrible crimes, these sexual crimes in nature, especially when it's pedophilia driven and all these other types of situations that have absolutely mortified the general mm-hmm. public and especially the priests therein. I mean, it's been mortifying for me to look through some of these horrendous mm-hmm. crimes. And But what I love about our church is... You know, for you know, decades, that it was a new phenomenon, and they didn't know how to administer. They were they were seeking counsel of how do we address these well, they were issues the that they were getting of, of, of psychotherapists, and this was the best or the most advanced knowledge or the thought at the time, and they were implementing. Yes. They so were, then you you look to the two thousand two charter, but taking work. steps forward. This is how we're going to approach it. How we're going to structure right. it, and now the church is even more so looking at what happened to get us to this point. As a society, not just as a church, but as a society, the sexual disorders of our actions as people seem to be growing. So I I do see the church emerging as a leader in respect to how are we addressing human sexuality? How are we providing opportunities for formation? And how can we move forward as a people to to the roads of virtue? And in the midst of that conversation, I just want to emphasize the fact that like 
like being a sex offender and being somebody who has a pornography addiction are two mm -hmm. totally different things. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that since the charter, we've had a tendency to equate those two mm -hmm. things or to tie them too closely together. Mm -hmm. um, like chastity formation is not to prevent offenders. Chastity formation is to like make space in your life to be in relationship with Jesus. Mm. Right. Because blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. Amen. And, and so achieving the virtue of chastity is just like a prerequisite to the Christian life. And, and I think we have to see it that way. And, um, and that exp extends back to what our families are doing and forming our young people, delaying those early exposures, um, but also like doing the kind of education that we talked about. And, and for a lot of us, that means seeking our own healing first. Um, mm -hmm. Like you'd asked about, you know, well, what about like parents who have a history? Um, like if they have a history, it can be healed. Mm -hmm. you know, and I've seen that happen. You know, there was somebody who they were having a hard time talking to their child and, and I was promoting these books and they're like, father, I can't read those books to my child. Um, well, tell me about your life a little bit. And they had had a really dark college period. And so we just kind of prayed through that. And I was like, uh, so what if you in college, you were sitting in the room right now, mm -hmm. um, and Jesus knocked on the door, what would you do? Uh, kick college me out of the room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So who's Jesus more interested in? Or who would Jesus go to dinner with in the Gospels, you or college you? Right. So just go into chapel and sit there and let Jesus talk to college you. And let yourself receive our Lord's mercy, right? Because the path to healing is receiving our Lord's mercy. It's learning to be loved by him. And, uh, and so this person went and they spent a couple hours, you know, over a couple of weeks. And then they came in and they were like, Father, I read the book. And it was amazing. You know, and they were freed to sort of evangelize, preach the gospel, educate their child because of the healing that they'd received. And, mm -hmm. and so there's always this invitation to healing. Whenever we're reluctant about these things, it's an invitation to healing. Mm -hmm. I know if we have the eyes to see that. Yes. So I, yeah, I think for a lot of parents being mm -hmm. able to properly educate their children is, is getting the plank out of their own eye first so they can really mm -hmm. address the needs of their children's eye, right? Um, you also, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned about what Pope Francis said in the closing speech for the extraordinary synod in the family and how that, how that shapes what the church is doing now to combat uh, pornography and other issues of sexual immorality. Right. So one of the points that was highlighted was to ensure that seminarians and priests are not addicted to pornography, um, which I think of all of the sort of takeaways, that's the most tangible one. Mm -hmm. um, it's the one that we can actually do something about. And, um, and I, I really think it's a call for the church to like one, when I'm working with families, we have to sort of do prevention and intervention at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. So so in our diocese, we started teaching lessons on pornography and using the word masturbation in the fourth and fifth grade curriculums. So if you're in a Catholic school in our diocese, you have lessons on pornography and how to avoid it and what to do if you see it starting in fourth grade. That's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I think is right. But we've got all of the ninth graders, 10th graders, 11th graders, 12th graders, college students who never got that education mm -hmm. back when they were in fourth grade. And so we need to be putting things in place for them. Mm -hmm. Seminaries today are starting to do better sexual history assessments. They're starting to do better interventions. They're letting guys go to 12-step meetings. 
they're they're putting things in place. They're but, addressing the issue. But we have priests who are ordained when I was ordained and following mm-hmm. who never got that formation. And and I think it's it's needed that we create invitations to integration, you know, that priests can self-refer to. If they have a problem, they can self-refer to. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't have a problem, like, thank God. Um, but so, sometimes we're continent and we're not virtuous. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. we had a problem once and we've white knuckled our way through life, but we don't really have joy. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't really have joy. Like mm-hmm. I was, my question to seminarians is always like, is celibacy a good for you? Mm-hmm. Like, is it's a good for the church? Mm-hmm. No, is it a good for you? Like, is Jesus mm-hmm. giving you something in this? That's great. Because otherwise it's a privation. It's something I'm giving up in order to be able to do the things that a priest does. And if my choice is between the apparent good of masturbation Mm -hmm. and a privation, Mm -hmm. the apparent good's going to win every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to choose between two goods, not between a good and a privation. And, uh, and so, and that's, it's really challenging for a lot of young people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess maybe changing the mindset that you're not giving up porn, you're giving, you're gaining something better in chastity and in continence. Like you're gaining Jesus, right? Like you're making, I would say you're making space for Jesus. So, so when you were asking about like dealing with kids or married couples or how it affects them. Um, and we were also talking about being in order, like there's an order of love. Mm-hmm. And and the first most fundamental way of love is loving as a son or daughter, Right which really means entrusting our hearts to our Lord and placing our hearts in his hands. So it's nothing that we do. It's just letting our Lord do something for us. And then we learn to love as in friendships, sibling relationships, marriages, those marriages become marriage so that we can love sacrificially our children. And so the healing process happens in that order, right? Like, like we don't work on a marriage until we first worked on like the sort of wounds and identity and our ability to surrender, you know, and surrender is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. surrendering our life is the hardest thing that we do. Um, and surrender is not asceticism. I always like, that's another point that I like to make is that surrender and asceticism are two do- totally different things, right? Like asceticism says my life's out of control, so I need to control it. So I'm going to put all these things in place and I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to get up at four in the morning and I'm never going to do that. I can't remember when I was struggling and I was like, okay, I fell. So I'm getting up at 4 a.m. to make a holy hour (laughs) and I'm going to discipline myself and then I won't fall. That that never worked. True. Surrender says my life's out of control and so I can't control it and I need Jesus Mm -hmm. to do this for me. Mm -hmm. I think at the heart of what you're saying, brother, is... You know, the whole sense of who Christ is and the invitation to holiness, that universal call that we all have. And that's how I've always taken steps in my journey and my vocation is I feel invited into a new pocket of experience in the person of Christ. And his chastity is is a certain element of communion with him. You know, when mm-hmm. we're being rejected by, you know, our brothers, or we're being rejected by a certain, it's a, an, another invitation into the person of Christ being rejected as son of God 
as Mashiach. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a further invitation into communion with Christ. And that's always before us. It's never perfectly accomplished here on earth, but we're moving in this process of sanctification and being perfected. And we can't do it alone. We cannot do it alone. And there's no sense in trying to do it alone. We do have to abandon our ourselves and our pride and recognize that we do need help, each mm-hmm. one of us. And even in Christ's sacrificial love, he's always belongs to the Father. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's first, <laughs> that's, that's right? So that's good, what yes. comes first. Yeah. And so, like, we Amen. have to belong that's to same him. order. Yeah. And that's, he's posturing that's it for us. He's showing us this is how it's done. Right. And, but, but it, again, like, that's why people stay stuck. People stay stuck because... They're trying to control their life mm. and they can't like St. Francis de Sales says we can't control our life. Like he says, when fruits are whole, they can be stored in hay, sand or their natural foliage. But once bruised, they can only be preserved with sugar and honey. Even so the chastity, which has never been lost can be preserved to the end. But once tampered with, it can be only preserved by the genuine devotion, which is the, as I have often said, is the very honey and sugar of the mind. And so you can't live the way you used to live. And that's and, awesome. That's so good, man. So good. And Sheila and I so are looking at each other like, this is amazing. I'm so, like, what? That's just, that's a, that is an amazing. That was so beautiful. Wow. We need, we need to get that quote, man, and, and link that up. So, so even he is talking about, he's, it's the same principle that addiction recovery people talk about mm-hmm. that, like the only path is total surrender. And, um, and most of us are bruised fruit, which means we have this opportunity to be really holy and because we can't preserve things by natural means. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where a lot of people that are faithful get tripped up is that, Um, they're putting into practice the devotional, like the traditional devotions of the church that are there to preserve chastity that already exists. Mm. Right. Like three, three Hail Marys for purity, the angelic warfare society, like all these things there, they were they're they're devotions to preserve chastity. Mm. But But they're not interventions for an addict that can't stop acting out. Mm -hmm. Like, there's some, there's a deeper surrender that has to take place mm-hmm. there. How do you, how do you culture that surrender and the people that you offer direction to? So, so what, as a director, I, I, I might say something like this. Somebody comes in, mm-hmm. you've probably had this guy or, or this girl and they're like, father. Um, so, so I've been struggling with this thing, you know, that thing that you talk about. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I'm doing the 54 day rosary novena and I started the novena to St. Joseph and I'm doing uh, three Hail Marys <laughs> for purity and um, and I'm doing like this other novena to chastity. Do you have another novena? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right? true. Like, like uh, so all those things are good, but we're just going to put them on a shelf and we're just going to pray with scripture because I want to see how you're relating to Jesus. And so I give this guy this assignment to go home and pray over the paralytic that's lowered through the roof, you know, and, and he comes back in the next week. Did you pray through that? Yeah, Father, I did. Okay, so tell me about it. So I can see myself, and there's this big crowd, and there's Jesus at the other side of the crowd. And then I looked down at my feet, and I saw this sick guy. And he was laying on a mat. And I was like, okay, I got to get him to Jesus. So I picked it up, and I started walking towards Jesus. I'm like, wait, stop, stop, stop. Why aren't you the sick guy? Uh, I don't like being the guy on the mat. Excellent. Okay, so why'd you come see me again? Mm -hmm. Does it need healing? 
Well, you're not going to get healing unless you're the guy on the mat. Because it's about building vulnerability in the spiritual life. And, and we need to learn to depend on people. And, and that's also, I'm a big fan of using 12 steps and guys going to 12 step groups like Sexaholics Anonymous, where they're working the steps and, and you have somebody you're calling every day and, and you're really learning, okay, what does it mean that I'm powerless over this? And how do I surrender my life? And, um, and, and it's interesting how the 12 steps and the Beatitudes like correspond, right? Like the first three I, steps I think and the, the first, first Beatitude. I think the first 12-step program was done in Akron, Ohio. It was. And it was helped formulated actually by a religious sister. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so, so like, the, like the first three steps are I'm powerless over pornography. I come to believe that a power greater than me can restore me to sanity and I surrender my life. And so those three steps correspond to blessed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, mm-hmm. right? To be dependent on our Lord. And you have to be there before you get to the point of being pure in heart. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we want to go be pure in heart, but we don't know how to be poor in spirit. And poor in spirit was the first one that he mentioned, right? It's the first one that he mentioned. Yeah. So there's an so it order. Like a, there's like a, a ladder. There's to, a progression. Yeah. Right? The first I'm poor in spirit and I'm dependent on God. Then... I'm meek because I have to realize that God can <laughs> restore me, but I have to surrender to him and do whatever he says. Right. Right. Then, um, that I, I got no sleep meek. last night. Help yeah, me out. Meek shall inherit the earth. <laughs> blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain so mercy. mercy. Blessed are those the who are for like, righteousness. Yeah. Mercy, extending mercy. A lot of people get hung mm-hmm. up because they're angry mm-hmm. at somebody or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like confession or mm-hmm. right. allowing so, yourself to show there's a mercy. a way of that. receiving mercy in that, right? Because if you work the steps in order, like then you go to like making your inventory and then you're going to confess that to another person and then you're going to receive mercy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, and, I think a question that a lot of our listeners would have is um, the uh, confession and, and how you can seek some healing and at least I, you know, some some real solace through the sacrament of confession for having consumed pornography or masturbation. Cause I know that there's tens of thousands of priests throughout this world who are hearing this confession every single day. Right. And then I think a lot of people who are struggling with it, um, <clears throat> stop going to confession cause they're tired of doing the same old confession and then they stay away from the sacraments and it creates this, mm-hmm. this spiral where they, they are pushing themselves further and further from the very church that would be able to provide them some healing because mm-hmm. of their shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think with confession, like the, the, the confession can heal. I believe in the sacrament of reconciliation. It, it's a healing sacrament. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but a lot of people don't experience it as actually bringing about that healing. And so that's what you're talking about. Like they're, they're tired of being in the cycle and they just quit. Um, and like I once met somebody and he was like, father, I used to have that problem that you talk about. So how'd you get over it? Uh, confession, father, lots of confession, like 40 years of confession. Okay. We can compress that timeline. Like we can do better than that. Right? So glad you're healed, but 40 years. So what, so what happens though, is that, um, and I think very subtly, um, confession becomes part of the acting out ritual. 
Mm-hmm. So like truly, I so see that before they act out, they're actually planning to go to con- like the presumption. Like I'm kind of kinda tempted. Yeah. I've been on social media. I'm looking at friend of a friend of a friend of a friend's bikini pictures on social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to YouTube, but I'm not going to look at porn. So I'm going to look at like the 16 most inappropriate videos of 2017. And mm-hmm. then they're like, I'm not looking at porn though. And then like after five minutes of that, it's like, I'm not looking at porn. I'm not sending, I'm not sending, I'm not sending. Actually, I started sending like five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to go to confession. Well, come on, can I get to confession? Yeah. I can go like get up early on Saturday and go so that my wife or my parents don't notice that I don't go to communion. And then they act out mm-hmm. and then they're done when they go to confession. And so, so one of the things I think as priests we need to do is just educate people and just call that out for them. So they recognize that it's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if they're stuck in a cycle, they need to do something different. Well, the presumption of forgiveness is a sin in and of itself. And I think calling that out that, look, you know, you're using this as an enabler for your, for your behavior or a, or a way to, um, it's just a part, part of the out. cycle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I would may, maybe say it more gently than that. Like, well, obviously, that's why I'm not a priest. That's why Shield that's why Shield is <laughs> He's cold. I don't think people are intentionally doing that. It just needs to be called out for them. And um and then, and then I think as priests, we need to do a better job of referring people to mm-hmm. other forms of healing. And and that's what I, I, I like to look at the sense of okay, the material for the sacrament of reconciliation. You know, we shouldn't come in with the mentality preceding that action of, of the act of vulnerability and, and going into the sacrament and searching for healing because we are searching in the right place. Mm-hmm. And and we shouldn't be defeated going into it's like, here I go. Like, I've already lost this mm-hmm. battle with flesh. I'm just going to continue to go back to confession constantly. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and, and they get, should continue to go, but you yeah, need to definitely. do something in between that. But, too. but at the right. same fact, time, it develops healing. a spirit of defeatism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we are not a people who have been defeated. We stand in the victory of Christ over the flesh. So there is true paths of healing. Absolutely. And, and it has to be rooted in what is also a requirement of the sacrament namely the satisfaction of penance and retribution. Mm-hmm. Now, we cannot provide a penance to you that reveals the, su- the substantive reality of what you are confessing, the material of the confession. Mm-hmm. We can't give you a, a, a penance that reveals that. But the point is, is we need accountability. You cannot do this alone. Mm-hmm. And you could, you could almost go into the confessional with that sense of, not even treating the priest as an accountable part and, and, right. and in the person of Christ, it's just that you get locked into this kind of defeatism. Mm-hmm. So you have to structure yourself in the sense of retribution, even though you don't get a penance associated, you know, particularly with, Hey, go to a 12 step program. I can't give that. I can't give that penance. Right. I could say, Hey man, I recommend, you know, you should think about it. I recommend mm-hmm. it, but you can't, Stipulate that as a requirement. You can, yeah. you can, but in retribution, it's it's almost attached to that mm-hmm. perfectly, because yeah. you need to take a step in the direction of I'm not going to be able to do this alone. I need help, and I need the support of my fellow brothers in the twelve step program, and have that accountability regularly, because that's the only way that you're going to move forward and and encounter the healing that God wants for you. Because think about it, what is He trying to accomplish in the world? That ut unum sent that we would be one. There's only one way to be one, and that's be vulnerable with each other and know right. each other deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Father, I'm I'm very interested to find out 
how specifically you would recommend on a parish level, but also a diocesan level, programs that would would really help to educate. For me personally, I, I'm really looking forward to going back to my diocese, forming a program with brother priests. And is there a curriculum out there that that you would recommend? Is there one that you're you're currently publishing? Or, you know, what on a parish level as a pastor, what would you recommend for me in, in the parish? Like on the parish level, I would just recommend starting with talking to parents. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of places that we preach. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. so one of the things that's worked really well is we have mandatory parent meetings if your child's making a sacrament. So if your child's making first communion, there's like a day of recollection, they have to come. There's a lot of theology, the body, evangelization, motherhood, mm-hmm. fatherhood. Um, also we're going to give you some resources for protecting your kids from pornography and some resources for sex education. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those become the, the invitation to integration for the adults in the room. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so that's just very naturally going to flow out of that. Um, I don't recommend going back and starting programs for addicts because like typically they just never take off. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just starting with that, uh, there's, there's a video that Catholic Mutual Group made with Covenant Eyes that can be found at cmgparent.org that can be mandated as part of a safe environment curriculum. Mm-hmm. So we have schools that have mandated parents to watch that video. They just need to hear the message over and over and over again so it becomes part of the normal conversations of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then again, like, Uh, I started a group for men and it mostly was like this. I had two directees. They were the same age, the same problem. And I said, do you want to meet somebody else who has the same problem? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you want to meet somebody else? Yes. Okay. We're going to meet in my office at eight o'clock on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. They came in and met and then I had a group Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then I just kept telling people, Oh, I have a group. And so it started out as like group spiritual direction Mm -hmm. and organically grew. And now it's split like two or three times. Beautiful. Um, but I'd also recommend using the 12 step literature from sexholics anonymous. Mm-hmm. It's really well written. Um, it's easy to connect with. Uh, the problem with groups is that oftentimes there's not a sober person in the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. so if you use the sexholics anonymous literature, there's always a sober person called the book. Yep. Mm-hmm. The book's always sober. So there's yeah. always one smart person talking That's great. and that's the book. Um, and that's worked really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that's where I would start. Mm-hmm. I would just start there. Have and you seen anything healthy being done on a diocesan level? Because seminaries are obviously employing it. I've seen it at St. Right. Vincent's in, in Boynton Beach. You know, I've seen it around the country in different pockets. What are you seeing on a diocesan level that, that uh, have you seen anything? So, so there's lots of different approaches that are going on right now simultaneously. I started kind of in a grassroots way. Mm-hmm. So I just started doing talks where I was invited and then a bunch of priests started coming on training. So, um, so Integrity Restored sponsors some trainings that I'm one of the instructors for. They're week-long intensive trainings for priests so they can come. It's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. And they get like all the evangelization, theological anthropology. Um, I always speak into sort of the the pitfalls that faithful Catholics have in recovery. Um, Dr. Todd Bowman's been teaching with me. He talks about like the brain science, attachment, relationships, all the psychological stuff. And it just is really good formation. Um, and uh and, and so the priests started coming on that and then they started feeling more comfortable addressing things in their parishes and working with people. Um, 
a bunch of dioceses, I don't know the number exactly, it's in the 20s, have done Safe Haven Sundays, which are just mm-hmm. awareness Sundays. You like, you have an awareness Sunday, there's a letter from the bishop, and it starts the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, New Orleans has just finished their second year of Safe Haven Sundays. And then they they booked me to come down to do a clergy education day. It was optional, and 105 guys signed up for optional clergy day. Mm-hmm. Like, that never happens. That's outstanding. Um, because they want more information and they want to know how to help people and how to walk with people and come to a deeper understanding of of the person in front of you because it's about discerning their heart and figuring out where to go. And we didn't talk about brain science, trauma, attachment, all these things, but it's it's actually really complicated. Um, it's a lot more complicated than just like, here, pray the rosary. Um, I believe in the rosary. I love the Blessed Virgin Mary, but... It's more complicated than that for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, most people need a group, a spiritual director, and a therapist. Um, and that's kind of my f- big three. And if they're willing to do all three, they tend to do better. Mm-hmm. If they just try doing one, uh, mm-hmm. not so much. So what recommendations? I mean, those those are kind of on a diocesan level. And there was some, you touched on some personal uh, methods of overcoming pornography. But for our listeners out there who are struggling with pornography and with masturbation, what are some things that you would recommend that they do now to immediately start addressing and overcoming this issue? Yeah, I think the first thing is to find somebody who's trustworthy that you can talk to and you can share your story with. Um, there's, there's a friend of mine, he just called me up the other day. He said, I've never told my story before. And I went by, he like spilled his whole history. And uh, I talked to him a couple of weeks later. He was like, dude, I just got to say that like something changed. Like that was amazing. Like, I've had no temptations ever since just telling a story. Um, so finding somebody they can talk to and then find the local 12 step groups. Like if you go to sa.org, you can find all this sexholics anonymous meetings that might sound scary. Um, but they're really just a bunch of guys that struggle or women who struggle. They're just like, they're just like you. And you can go to those meetings and you meet somebody who's been sober for like 15 years from pornography and masturbation. And like, sometimes I say that in a men's, in a men's conference and some guys like, wait, what do you mean by that? Like, that's possible. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that was possible. Mm -hmm. And doesn't that evoke hope? Like, man, there's hope for me. Right. And and so we need people in our life that we can share life with and that Mm -hmm. know the path, right. That know the path. Um, and then finding a therapist. So I would recommend people go to the ITAP website that I talked about at the beginning um, it's IITAP.com and go to the therapist locator the, because those are therapists who have training in sexual addiction treatment. They've seen hundreds of clients with problems with pornography and masturbation, and they tend to be better at discerning and kind of going to the heart of things and helping people to be free. Um, my opinion is that like, I'd rather have a really good sex addiction therapist who's not Catholic than a really good Catholic therapist who doesn't have training or doesn't have experience with sexual addiction work. Mm-hmm. Cause that's always a question people have. Um, your spiritual director's job is to keep you in the church and to keep you on track. Your therapist's job is to help you stop acting out. And the therapists who specialize, they, what they like love what they do, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it takes a special person to love working with this population. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so those are some places that people could go. Um, 
And there, there's also, you can find some talks that I've given on YouTube. Um, there's the Strive program that Matt Brad just produced with um, Cardinal Studios. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a good, like, Father, I don't think I can. I, I, don't, I don't need a group. I don't need anything like that. Like, that's a good way to dip your toe in the water and sort of get some education and start learning a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother is actually the psychologist who does the webinars for Strive. Um, and so, so those are those are just some places to start. Um, like finding an accountability partner, but accountability partner is somebody you call every day. It's not somebody that you wait to see if they call you when you have a bad report. Mm-hmm. Like you call them every day and you, you check in about lust temptations, your fears and your resentments, and you have somebody walking with you. You know, I really like how Covenant Eyes changed accountability partner to ally, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's not a punitive person in your life. Right. It's somebody who's there walking with you, supporting you, and you experience authentic friendship Mm-hmm. And a sense of belonging and yeah. vulnerability. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So for our listeners who are interested in Covenant Eyes and having that accountability and having and establishing that ally, you can go to covenanteyes.com and use the code Catholic Talk, and you can get thirty days free and see if this is soft, uh, software and a platform that can really help you down the path towards healing from. Uh, the the dangers and the addiction and the struggles of pornography and masturbation. And if you want another ally, be sure to check out Exodus 90 because think about 90 days of a commitment with fellow brothers that are striving for true masculinity. And what is 90 days in the bigger picture of salvation and the bigger picture of your relationship with God and your the fellow community that we we're called to. So we thank you so much for connecting with us. We thank you for the ally and Father Sean and his yeah, beautiful work. This was excellent. I mean, I... I know our listeners are going to get so much out of this, and um, I really can't uh, thank you enough for joining us and giving your expertise and speaking so candidly and frankly on on this issue. Yeah, and I also want to thank all the patrons because without your support, we were we're not able to fly him in here, and and you know this is something that has evolved over time. So this support is very meaningful to us, and it's also helping the show. So we thank mm-hmm. you very much. Okay. And this material is getting out there because of you. And allied together, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We wish you a beautiful week, and we'll see you next week. God bless. Mm